the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I feel like I've been off for like a month, but it's only been four days over the holiday. But thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it very, very much. This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, personal questions, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car on this very cool, cold afternoon, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, hope you had a really great Thanksgiving holiday. It was nice uh, just to be able to kind of kick back, and we had a bunch of people at the house, and Paul, of course, did a great job preparing the meal. I uh, hope you were with family. I hope the Lord was glorified. And we remembered especially the things, all the things that we can be thankful for. A couple of things and we'll get right into questions. Um, tonight, our men's, women's and youth Bible studies all happen at seven o'clock here at uh, the, in the sanctuary at Calvary Chapel. And um, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. Um, I think Paula told me who was teaching the women. Tonight. I think May Cruzado is teaching tonight. May. So Ken and May are teaching tonight. Uh, and then, of course, Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew will have the junior high school and the high school kids. All of that at 7 o'clock. Ladies, of course, you can watch uh, the women's Bible study at calvarysa.com on our live stream feed. Uh, I think... I, I thought I had one more thing, but I can't remember now. That's what happens when you get to be my age. So let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Rita, talking about my message yesterday, she said, uh, Pastor Ron, in your message yesterday, you said that we can overcome our fears. Practically, how can we? Rita, let me give the audience a little bit of context. We were in Acts chapter 22, the end of it, in the first 11 verses of chapter 23, when Paul was literally being threatened with his life. I mean, they were the crowd was trying to tear his, his arms and legs off of his body. They wanted to rid the earth of him, uh, and all because he gave his testimony about meeting God and then said God was going to send him to the Gentiles. Now, the important thing about yesterday's message, Rita, is that Paul himself was going through all of those things he was fearful of. Uh, clearly, he was fearful uh, about losing his life. Um, he, he was in a situation where it didn't appear that he was in the will of God. Remember, he had been warned repeatedly about going. Don't go to Jerusalem. If you do, you're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be abused and, and maybe even killed. And and he knew God wanted him to go. And the situation he found himself in made it appear as though all of those other people, a couple of them prophets, 
that they were right and he shouldn't be there. And the way things turned out, I mean, he's just like you uh, and me, Rita. He, he he just would have thought, I made the wrong decision. And it would have caused him all kinds of difficulty. And still, still he was faithful. So here's the thing. You know, when I did yesterday's message, um, one of the things that you can always count on in a church, especially if there's a large number of people gathered like we had yesterday, One thing you can always count on is that there are people who are really, really hurting. Really, really hurting. Their lives are falling apart. They got bad news from a a doctor. They got um, heartbreaking news from one of their children. Um, They lost a job. There's a million reasons, but people are really hurting. And I think we don't understand that. And to know that the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, had the same kind of difficulties... Uh, is in sort of a perverse way encouraging. And so the way we overcome it is to watch what he did. Now, Rita, in your question, practically, you want to know how can we overcome fears? We do it by faith. Eventually, the Apostle Paul had to decide, I know you sent me here, Lord. And while things don't look good and while, while people might think I did the wrong thing, I know I'm here in the middle of your will. You know, it's really interesting about the Apostle Paul. He wrote to the church at Rome uh, in his letter to the Romans. He said, I know that when I come to you, I will come with the full measure of God's blessing or in the full measure of God's blessing. And it doesn't look like when he goes to Rome, it doesn't look like any kind of blessing that we might imagine. And he was right in the middle of God's will. So in the middle of his fear, Rita, he had to remember that that's exactly where he was. And that God was the one in control, and God was the one protecting him. Now, let me give you a little bit of a preview on next Sunday's study. Um, Read, I just finished it all today. Um, but, but we're going to see miraculously how God preserved him, how God uh, kept him safe. Um, but, but see, he didn't know that in the study yesterday. And he had to trust. Well, the same thing is true for you. Really, you've got to, when you're afraid, decide. And it's as simple as making a decision. You've got to decide. Are you going to trust God? Or are you going to give in to fear? Or try to take matters into your own hands? And if you do that, then of course nothing will ever change. And you'll never grow in your faith. Jesus came near to Paul in the study yesterday. When, when Jesus must have felt like he was a thousand miles away. But he came near to Paul and said, take courage. And he'll do the same for you. Not in a physical sense, of course. But he'll do exactly the same for you. And what you've got to do, Rita, is trust him. Don't give in to fear. Now, let me also say this, and then I'll move on to another question. But this is important, Rita. When we're told not to be afraid... And I don't know, I haven't counted them, but I heard one pastor sometime, one time said there was over 330 do not be afraids in our Bibles. I don't know if that's true or not, but there's a lot of them. That doesn't mean we won't be afraid. Fear is a human emotion. We are all humans. There is an enemy pushing all of those old fear buttons. But here's what we do is we say, okay, Lord, I'm afraid. Don't pretend that you've got mountain-moving faith. Just tell God what he already knows. But here's what you say next. Lord, I'm afraid. You know I'm afraid. But I'm not going to let fear stop me this time. I'm going to hang in there with you. Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm going to rest in you. And if you'll do that, God will show off. And the more God comes through for you, the more you'll be able to trust him each and every time you're in a trial. So, Rita, that's as practical as it can be, but it's just increase my faith, Lord. And if you'll do that, then your faith will grow. From faith to faith, Paul writes, and when he writes that, he means that our faith will grow from where it is now, and it will be greater. For me personally, Rita, I know that my faith is... Uh, much, 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 much stronger now than it was um, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Because I've seen God do a whole bunch of things. 
Thanks very much. I appreciate it, Rita. Here's a question called in from Bob in Converse. Can you give me your interpretation of Mark chapter 8, verse 21? Uh, Mark, give me just a second because I will have to go there. Mark 8, 21. Oops. I always do the wrong thing when I'm... Okay, Mark. Boy, I don't know what the question would be, Mark, on that. It says... Mark 8, verse 21. Well, in Mark 8, it says, He said to them, Jesus, to his disciples, Do you still not understand? Now, let me get a little context here. Um... Jesus, the, the, Jesus was on his way with his disciples. And they're wondering what he meant when he said um, that uh, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The disciples, this is verse 16, Mark, they discuss this with one another and say, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, this is his verse, do you still not understand? Um, The disciples were just like you and just like I am, Mark. Um, Jesus would do these miracles. They would be a part of it. And then the next time they were in trouble and the next time something was, was difficult for them, um, they, they'd forget all about it and give in to fear. We were just talking about that with Rita. It's very important to understand that um, they were afraid. That, that's all. And Jesus is trying to teach him. I got this. When he said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and, and of, of uh, the religious leaders, he's talking about the false doctrine. That's what it is, the yeast of the leaven. So that's all he's saying, and basically he's saying to them, you can trust me. I I was there when we fed the 5,000. I was there when we uh, fed the 4,000. By now, you should trust me. And one of the things that he said to his disciples over and over is things like, oh, ye of little faith. And and he just understands our faith sometimes grows very, very uh, slowly. And that was the case in this particular instance. So, Mark, I really don't know um, what you want me to do with that. Do you still not understand? He was just trying to get them um, to understand, take him at his word. So I hope that's the case. 340-9585, Mark, if you want to write back, and I didn't answer that question, I didn't get to your point, let me know, please. Here is a question from Roy. I get this question at least once every month. Roy says, how can we say God loves everyone if not everyone is chosen by God to believe? Um, Roy, we can say God loves everyone because the Bible says it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God is love. We know he loves everyone. Now, what you're doing is you're being exposed to Calvinist teaching or Reformed uh, theology, and and they've convinced you that God chooses some for heaven and some for hell. That's simply not the case. God chooses, make no mistake, that's biblical doctrine. God chooses, but the basis upon which he chooses is his foreknowledge. Now, it's really simple. When God says, um, I want mercy on who I want mercy. Well, who does he choose to have mercy on? Those who will believe on him. God had mercy on me. Um, 32 now, almost 33 years ago, he had mercy on me. I didn't deserve mercy. I certainly didn't deserve grace. You can't deserve grace. But God chose me because he knew that there was that day in 1991, February of 1991, where I was going to choose him. Now, he chose me first. 
but he knew I was going to cho- choose him. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, talks about the basis of God's choice of all of us, and that basis is his foreknowledge. So God knew, and the truth is that God loves everybody, and we know he loves everybody because the Bible says God is love, and he died for the world. Don't fall into the trap of Calvinist systematic theology that says, uh, well, God chooses some for heaven and some for hell. That's not the case. The, the doctrine of election or predestination is never spoken of in Scripture in any other context, Roy, other than salvation. It's never spoken of in terms of condemnation. So God chose to have mercy on me because I was going to choose him. If you, Roy, and and I'm not suggesting this is the case for you, just using you as an example, uh, if you were not going to have mercy, or if you were not going to choose God, he wouldn't have mercy on you. That's explained in the example of Esau and and, uh, Jacob. Um, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. It's not that God hates. It's that he wanted to love Esau, but Esau wouldn't let him. And the people that don't choose God, well, they waste the grace of God or the mercy of God in their lives. So that's all it is. Thank you very much for the question, Roy. Let's go to my friend, my dear friend, Tanya in San Leandro, California. Tanya, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. How how are Mama's mashed potatoes? (laughs) They're good. They, They always are. (laughs) <laughs> good answer, Pa. Good answer. <laughs> um, and, and and I think the answer is two different parts, depending on who you're talking to. So, you know, Carlson and I get out. We play pickleball, and I like talking to people, you know, sharing the love of Christ. And I'm having a difficult time, and maybe you could help me understand. Maybe I know you have better understanding than I do about the terms religious and spiritual. Because I come across unbelievers who will say, well, I'm a spiritual person. And I'll say, well, you know, tell me more. What does that mean? You know, I'm always asking questions, right? Let them talk to me. Then I'll come across Christians and I say, yeah, religion doesn't save anybody. You know, Jesus does. So have you, what's the best way to answer that or even cut through that and say, you know, because I'm finding it's, you know, I I, I actually did an interview with one of these kids that I, um, he gave his life to Christ in, in my kitchen. And he called me and said, hey, Mama Thomas, I, I need to speak to you. I, I, you know, I have an interview for this class, and he goes to a Catholic school. And he's like, you know, they asked me to, to interview a religious person. And I said, oh, no, Mrs. Thomas is not a religious person. She just loves Jesus. <laughs> Good <laughs> so, for you. Um, if you could help me, if you could help me, Papa, with that religious, because I'm assuming the answer is different for two different sets of people, right? If they're totally unbelievers. But I'm hearing Christians say, well, I'm not religious, which, of course, religion doesn't save. I'm spiritual. Well, what does that even mean? And I'm sure you've got better insights. I'm sure you've heard it. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have any much better insight, but you've pushed my pet peeve button. I get this so much, Tanya. Uh, I'll ask people, so how long have you been a Christian? Or, or where do you go to church? Or are you born again? And they'll say, well, no, but I'm a very spiritual person. And they can see the look on my face because that doesn't mean anything at all. So what I do, Tanya, and you know me as well as I know you, and you're, you're probably one of the very few people that can be as direct as I am. And what I say to them is, is I don't know what that means. There are only two spirits. There's the spirit of God, that's Jesus Christ, and there is the spirit of the enemy, the devil. And all other forms of spiritism are evil. There is only one spirit that can save. And that is the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, through the power and the persuasion of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they don't like that. What they what they mean by spiritual is, well, you know, I meditate or, well, I talk to God or, you know, we, we can't make up our own God. And that's generally where I go um, after, the, they, because they won't answer my question. What spirit are you worshiping? And then what I'll tell him is, look, uh, you, you, your spirituality is something that you've made up. The issue is, what are you going to do with sin? 
And only Jesus can cleanse us from sin because only Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, usually by this time, they're, they've checked out of the conversation, Tanya, because they don't want to have to deal with the issue of sin. Their form of spiritism or spirituality is always one that, that justifies their sin. And, and, and simply that's not going to work. And I let them know it's not going to work. And typically what I will do is tell him at the end of that conversation, look, you're not interested in this right now, but you know who I am and you know where I am. And if you ever want to talk about something really important, if you're ever really ready to deal honestly with what's in your heart, I'll always be here and listen to you. And we live in a world where uh, spiritism, you know, well, I believe in reincarnation or I believe in in fortune tellers or I believe in astrology, all kinds of things. All of that is spirituality, but it's just evil spirituality. And so that's what we have to do. We've got to get to that place, Tanya, where we make them deal with the, the, the question, which spirit are you representing? And, and I let them know they simply don't have the right to name that spirit God and expect that they have any connection to the real God who is holy. So that's the only way I can deal with it. And Tanya, typically I'm not getting a whole bunch of, of um, uh, responses from that. That's just somebody's way of sort of deflecting. I don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to talk about having to change my life. God bless you, dear girl. We love you and we miss you. Hope we get to see you again very, very soon. Let's go to Matthew from Cibolo on line two. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? Well, thank you, Matthew. Did you have a baby last right. night? No, I was hoping so because uh, my, you know, Michelle is, bless her heart. She's been here so much right now. So um, <laughs> I got to tell I'm the audience. I got to tell the audience, yesterday in church, uh, she was two rows behind me, and I looked at her and smiled, and I mouthed, how are you doing? And she just (laughs) held her arms like, like, I feel like I'm a... Like a boat, I'm so big. And and so I prayed for the baby yesterday, so I was hoping that would happen. Oh, yes, I'm really hoping uh, that'll come through. Uh, I know she has a baby shower on Saturday, so I don't know how she's going to get through it, but we'll... we'll... (laughs) Let the Lord handle that. <laughs> I have two things, Papa. Um, so on Friday, I was hearing your message about, uh, and I'm a little biased. I'm just going to kind of preface my comments by saying that. Um, when you were talking about the church practice and, you know, you were talking about how churches, uh, they kind of have to be similar, but churches are called to do different things. So I was going to ask you from a practical standpoint, I always feel Calvary has a blueprint. You know, if you want to be successful and you want to have the love of, of the Lord, and the love of people, we need to, we need to, uh, they need to uh, follow Calvary Chapel. But anyways, um, again, I'm a little biased. And so, in a practical standpoint, what is it the difference where you're talking about? You know, churches, churches have different calling, doing different things. How can they stay in tune with the Lord and the will and doing the things? Because you know, I had a family member talk about this, and and at their church, they have about 500 people at their church. And they said the, the men, they have men's Bible study once a month. And I was sharing with the family member, we have it every Monday and every other Saturday. So I just don't understand why, if you have 500 people, why have a, a Bible study, a men's Bible study once a month. They have a women's Bible study every week, but a men's Bible study once a month. <laughs> um, that just anyway. shows you the men, men are way more messed up than the women are, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, and the pastor has a part-time job, so he has that bivocational um, element in his church, but um, so from a practical standpoint, on a on um, a church setting, how's that different from our church? And also, uh, we were talking to the kids about yesterday was uh, the feast of the wedding banquet, and how um, you know the king called the servants to call people, or you know, to had the wedding for the son, and so it got me thinking about or started to uh, read about atonement. You know, and I so I started diving into atonement and what that really means. And I remember in my master's program, and uh, when I got my master's in Christian education, we talked about atonement, and they were saying there's seven theories of atonement. And I just want to kind of—I never asked you about that, so I wanted to get your perspective on atonement as well. So, all right, that's all I have. Okay, okay. Let, let, let me clarify something. You said what did you say? Seven series? The theories. There's seven theories, theories of atonement okay, out yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
I can do that. And and Matthew, I'm going to only get maybe the first part of the first question. I'll get the second one uh, and the rest. I'll, I'll finish it on the other side of the break. So hang on, not on the phone, but but keep listening to the radio. A couple of things. Let me correct something Matthew said. He said, uh, I think Calvary Chapel has the blueprint for the way church is supposed to be done. It's not a Calvary Chapel blueprint at all. It's It's Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 42, that's the the blueprint that God gave us for how church is to be done. That was the first church. That was the very beginning. And God said, this is the way church is supposed to be done. And all we've done is focus on on the word of God. He calls it in Acts chapter 2, the apostles' doctrine, focusing on prayer, focusing on being together in fellowship uh, around the Lord's table, but 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 being there for one another and certainly focused on worship. And that's the blueprint, and it can't be improved on, and churches that are not doing that are missing the mark when it comes to that. Matthew, I'll do more on this on the other side of the break. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Matthew, let me get to, to, to your two questions and then we'll get, uh, we got somebody waiting on the line, so I'll get there very quickly. Um, you, you know, our, our Friday night study in, in Colossians, um, the, the first verse that we were in, verse 18 in chapter 1, was Jesus is the head of the church. And the conversation that, that we had was that that means he's in charge. Uh, he gives the orders. He gives the directions. We do it. That's why we stick to Acts chapter 2 as the model. That's the model that was given to the very first church. That's the foundation for the way we do anything. Now, I also want to say this. <clears throat> um, how many Bible studies you have during the week? Um, I'm very sympathetic to bi- bivocational pastors. Um, you know, um, I'm old and I don't have uh, another job, so uh, I can I can do three Bible studies a week, uh, and then we have other pastors in the church that do other Bible studies um, virtually, except for Thursday nights. Uh, you can have a Bible study uh, every night of the week here at Calvary Chapel. Smaller groups where there's more interaction. We have a foundations class on on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, 5 o'clock actually. And we also have Spanish Bible studies. But we have men's and women's Bible studies um, throughout the week. So, so you get Bible all the time. I think that's really important. However, a bivocational pastor wouldn't have that much time. And perhaps there hasn't been people raised up in the body yet that he could turn those Bible studies over to. So be very careful about being critical. I, I will say this. When, when I was talking about God gives a direction for the church and all churches are different, I didn't mean in terms of teaching the word. What I meant was that um, we have different visions. Like we do a whole bunch of stuff for free, free school, free medical clinic, uh, free other stuff. I'll talk more about that in a minute when we get a question. Um, and, and other churches have different directions from the Lord. And we can't criticize them either. But the focus on the word, the focus on fellowship, the focus on prayer, and the focus on worship, that's what the church was always intended to be. Now, your question about atonement, um, Matthew, I'm glad you don't know what the seven uh, uh, theories of atonement are, because six of them are just kind of stupid. Just that simple. Penal substitutionary atonement is what atonement is. Jesus took the price. He paid the price and accepted the punishment for our sins. He took our place. Isaiah chapter 53, the the price of our peace was placed upon him. And, And that's the only one that is legitimate. The others 
there has been a recent trend, and I, I just can't figure out what the motivation is, but there's been a recent trend uh, last several years to denounce penal substitutionary atonement as as savage or brutal or paint God as being angry and petulant. Um, and that's just nonsense. And so what they've done with the other six theories is try to come up with a way that they can make God really nice. He doesn't really want to punish sin at all. But, but God is holy and we have to punish sin. So, Matthew, only one theory of atonement is biblical. And that's PSA or penal substitutionary atonement. The rest are just worthless. Thank you, Matthew. God bless. Let's go to Kirby in New Brunfels on line one. Kirby, thank you for holding your on the air. Yeah, thank you. Um, kind of a heavy question, but my, my father just had a friend who uh, took his own life. And oh I grew up in the Christian faith, and I don't know if it's ever been explicitly taught to me, but I always understood, and maybe incorrectly, that if you take your own life, you won't be able to uh, go to heaven. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and where's the biblical answer. And I guess I guess that's it. I can do that, Kirby, and I, I, I think I'll be able to give you some comfort here. Um, uh, Catholic theology um, that has come down through the centuries um, has categorized suicide as a mortal sin. Uh, the problem, of course, with that is that, that that doesn't agree with what Jesus said. He said all sins except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will be forgiven. The only sin that can't be forgiven is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's the sin where we reject the work of the Holy Spirit unto death. Uh, the Spirit came to draw us to Christ, to convict us of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And if we die not having received that gift... Uh, then we're going to spend eternity in hell, period. Nobody goes to hell for any particular sin. We go to hell for rejecting the only solution to sin, and that's accepting Jesus Christ by faith. So um, suicide is not the unpardonable or unforgivable sin. It is deeply, deeply um, uh, harsh. It is severe. And certainly uh, our bodies are not our own. We're bought with the price. We have no right to take our own lives. But the reality, Kirby, is that there are some people who are uh, so overwhelmed by circumstances. uh, The enemy will always try to, to pounce in those situations. And there are people who lose the battle. Um, And they're going to answer to the Lord for taking their own lives. But remember, all of our sins were forgiven to the cross, past, present, future sins. And God knew what they were going to do. Um, He gave them the opportunity not to. And again, I want to stress it is a serious sin, but it's not a sin that separates us from God forever. If you are a born again Christian, that's the key. You're going to go to heaven regardless of the sin that you commit. Again, it is serious. Um, No one has the right to take their own life. Life belongs to God, determining the beginning, the end of life. That's that's the purview of God. However, we are not um, um, just lost if, in fact, uh, we, we take our own lives. So I hope that answers your question and comforts you a little bit, Kirby. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question that was called in from Bob in Converse. In Mar- and, and Bob, I apologize. Thank you for following up on this. I apologize. I called you Mark because I was looking at Mark in there. He says, in Mark eight twenty and 21, was the significance of the seven loaves and the twelve baskets that the disciples did not understand? If so, what was the significance of those numbers? I know what you're getting at now, uh, Bob. Thank you very, very much. Um, um, Jesus demonstrated his mastery over over everything. I mean, the mastery um, uh, of, of multiplication. He demonstrated his deity. And um, the seven loaves uh, with the feeding of the 4,000 um, was just the, the, Jesus calling them to remember. The, the, the 12 loaves in the feeding of the 5,000 is more significant because in, in the feeding of the 5,000, um, they started with nothing and, and they end up feeding these, and we're talking 15,000 or so people. 
And there was plenty, and the people were glutted. That's literally when it says they were all full. They, they were glutted, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls themselves. Now, there were 12 disciples, 12 baskets. What that meant, Bob, is that those men, each of them had their own personal, I like to call it a souvenir, or their own personal reminder of the power of God. They saw it with their own eyes, and what Jesus is saying to them is, you guys should remember these things. Now, with the feeding of the 5,000, you remember right after that, they went across and they got caught in this horrible storm. And said they were, they were, they were afraid again. And Jesus is saying, look, didn't you understand about the teaching? Uh, I'm trying to teach you about false teaching of the Pharisees uh, and the religious leaders. And, and you're thinking, because I don't have any bread. And basically what Jesus was saying, I say this kind of stuff all the time to people, Bob, hey, I can make bread out of nothing. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. This was something he says is more important. Watch out for the false teaching or the, the yeast of the Pharisees. So that's all it was. The significance of the numbers, uh, I think I think only the 12 baskets had, had significance uh, the seven loaves is just a matter there were seven loaves left over. Great question, Bob, and thank you very much for clarifying that. I felt like a dummy uh, trying to figure out what your question was. Thank you. Here is a question. This one is from Jerry. Jerry says, Good afternoon. I have listened to you for a long time, and my relationship with the Lord has grown more than I can say. Jerry, what a nice thing to tell me. Thank you. And then he continues, I thank God for this radio show. I've heard you say that your church will be starting a Bible school. Do you have any more information about it? I tried to look on your website, but didn't see anything about it. How much is it going to be? And when will it start? Thank you. Jerry, we don't have a Bible school right now because we don't have space for anything. I mean, we have no space at all. The place that we are moving is is five and a half times, a little more than five and a half times more space than we have right now. So uh, our plan, at least right now, our plan is to be in that building, um, we hope by July of next year. It, it's currently being deconstructed and then it will be constructed. And as long as the Lord provides the money for it, um, we, we hope to be done uh, and in that building by uh, July, the 1st of August, next year. Now, a Bible college, it's not just a Bible school, it's a Bible college. It's always been a part of our vision. Um, I have everything else. I've got the, the man who's going to head it up. Uh, we got the, the, the teachers. I've got a wonderful staff of Bible teachers. Um, we've, we've got female Bible teachers. I'll be able to minister to the, to, to, to the wives uh, and, and, and just anybody that wants further education. Um, um, and, and we're going that's always been part of our plan. The emphasis of our Bible college is going to be on ministry. We want people that are called into some form of ministry. Um, it's not going to be university. We will have a, a graduation certificate, but it, we're, we're not interested in, in degrees, bachelor's degrees. It's not a higher education thing. What we want to do is equip people for the work of ministry. And so that's what we're going to do. And um, um, we've been frustrated trying to find a Bible college that really understands the value of just preparing people for the work of ministry. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, when it will start, uh, Jerry depends entirely on the leading of the Lord, uh, but it will be our, our priority. We have two ministries that are going to start when we get in that building. One of them is a, our free restaurant named Unusual Kindness from Acts chapter 28. And then the um, uh, other is the Bible College. And like everything else that we do here at Calvary Chapel, Jerry, it'll be free. It'll be free. We, we're not interested in, in making any money uh, where God guides, God provides. And so um, this is just a burden that's been on our heart for a very, very long time. Um, the man that will be heading it up is Pastor Chris Sanchez. Uh, Jerry, if you don't mind praying for him. By the way, he's about to get married or going to get married in the in the not-too-distant future. Uh, so keep him in prayer. And like I said, we've got everything except space. 
right now. And that's all we're waiting for. So um, just kind of put that on your prayer list, Jerry, and uh, we're going to see what the Lord is going to do. But but that's a vision that's been on our heart for a very, very long time. Great question. Thank you, Jerry. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Emily. She says, uh, Pastor Ron, I heard you mention in an older study that you've experienced angels helping you. Can you expound, please? Um, yeah, Emily. Um, um, it's It's been several times, and I, I don't want to spend the rest of the program talking about it, but um, just a couple of things. When, when uh, the first time it wasn't me, it was Paula. Um, it, my life was falling apart just before I got saved, and 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 she was terrified. You know what's going to happen to us, and all those other things. And there were a couple of different occasions where, um, and nobody could smell it but Paula. But there was this this heavenly aroma, just this. Uh, it's indescribable. Um, but but she said it was just the greatest smell ever. It was it, she just couldn't explain it in any any better than that. It was just this wonderful heavenly smell. And for a long time, she believed that was uh, the presence of the Lord comforting her. Now it could have been, but I I think more likely it was an angel that was sent by the Lord to comfort her. There was another time uh, when uh, I was in Bible college, and, and and without thinking, we headed up the mountain. Our Bible college was about 6,000 feet elevation, uh, and, you know, snowy and cold and all those kind of things. Well, on the way up, we're really only about halfway up the, the hill going to the mountain, so we're about 3,000 feet in elevation, and we got hit with this horrible, horrible ice storm. Um, and, and we got one point where our truck just started turning. Uh, it would turn clockwise and we were going off. Paula was, was in the, in the truck with me and we were going off the edge. It was just a sheer drop. We would have dropped 3000 feet, um, no barriers, no anything. And we were just turning clockwise and as we turned, I got to the point where we were directly over the edge and I could look out the driver's window and I could see straight down and we were going down. And and with no explanation, uh, Emily, our uh, the truck just came to a complete stop. I mean, one wheel literally off the edge and it started very slowly going in the other direction. And we got back out into the middle of the road, headed directly down. It was like the Lord saying, okay, I saved you, go down. But but I am 100% convinced that was an angel sent by the Lord as well. We had another situation. We were doing a Joy of Jesus in uh, Scotland, in London. We, we did an 11-day trip there. This goes back some years now. And... Um, you know, it's easy to forget that they drive on the other side of the road than we do. So we were coming to this this um, um, street. We're going to cross it. And we just naturally were Americans. We looked to the right to see if any cars were coming and none were. And um, one of our ladies who was with us, uh, God bless Julie, she stepped off and there was this huge bus coming. And, and she stepped off at the same time. There was no way to stop, no way to do anything. And I screamed because there was no way that she wasn't going to die. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, we found her on the sidewalk, several feet away from where it was. No explanation about how, how she wasn't killed at that moment. And, and we're just all kind of shaking our head. And, and again, I was 100% convinced that was an angel. And, um, you know, the angels are not to be worshipped. Uh, we're grateful to God for them. But, you know, they're the ones who are who are always looking at the eyes of the Lord. And, and I think in those instances, and probably, Emily, in, in many other instances where I've been rescued, I think when we all get to heaven, we're going to find out that God protected us from a lot more than we're aware of. Um, um, it's It's the Lord who directs the angels so he gets all the glory. So those are my own personal experiences. Uh, I I watched them. There's no other explanation. And uh, all we could do is fall on our face and thank God. Here is a question. This one is from Kim. 
Um, are we tempted to sin by Satan or are there other sources of temptation? Um, the answer is, yeah, we're tempted um, to sin by Satan. But there are plenty of other sources of temptation as well. Listen to what James says, Kim, in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now, he's the only source that doesn't have anything to do with our temptation. God is light and there's no darkness at all. So James says, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I didn't need to read that last verse, but I just love that verse. Um, So, Kim, uh, we are tempted um, by our own evil desire. That's flesh. The the Bible talks about our carnality, our flesh, our sin nature. Um, We look at something uh, that we shouldn't look at. Maybe we look at a little too long. Instead of taking the thought captive, we hold on to a little bit longer. And then we find ourselves tempted. And then um, the enemy gets involved. And then we are enticed. So it's sort of like a conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy person. but, But it's like... My flesh is conspiring with the devil to destroy me. And the longer we entertain sin, that's why Paul says to take those thoughts captive. The longer we entertain temptation, the more likely we are to give in to it. And um, it, it's, it's our fault. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says that we don't have to be overcome by temptation. When we are tempted, and every one of us is tempted all the time, Kim, but we don't have to be, uh, we don't have to give in to the temptation. Uh, all we have to do is is let the Lord have his way in our heart. And it's a choice that we make at the moment of temptation. So the devil does tempt us. Our flesh tempts us. The world that we live in tempts us. And if you understand that and you understand how to fight those things, then you can overcome temptation. Thank you for the question, Kim. I appreciate it very, very much. I think we probably had a time for phone calls. I'll give the number in case somebody has something quickly. Nope, only four minutes, so we don't have time for that. So let me give you the next question. Martin says, you continually say there are no prophets today, but what about the gift of prophecy that Paul writes about? Well, Martin, two things. One, the gift of prophecy is very clearly a gift that continues uh, right down to the time that we live. But having the gift of prophecy or exercising the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. Ephesians 2.20 is crystal clear. And because there's so many people who say they're prophets, um, and, and by the way, they say we're apostles too, um, and, and because we're not really understanding what the Bible says, um, we believe them. Hey, they're Christians, they wouldn't lie. But the office of prophet is closed. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says that the foundation of the church is Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. He's one that holds everything together. And he gave some apostles, we know who they were, and some prophets. We've got examples of prophets in the New Testament. And and he said they're the foundation that has already been laid. And the Greek tense is very important here. That foundation has already been laid. It's done. It's finished. And then the rest of the gifts given to the church, the church is being built. And that's in the present imperative tense, the church is being built on that foundation already laid. So there are no more apostles and there are no more prophets. The gift of prophecy is completely different. First Corinthians chapter 12 and then later in chapter 14, we, we, we read that those gifts that are given are given for the edification of the body. And, and I'll give an example of the gift of prophecy. It would be an exhortation. The Spirit would move on your heart to say, um, "There's," and we do this in our afterglows, uh, there's somebody in here who the Lord wants to say, you're really struggling and you're really discouraged, but he wants you to hang in there. That's the gift of prophecy. Uh, when I am teaching the Bible, uh, there are people 
um, I'm, I'm forth telling the word of God. Um, and, and there are people who um, they know at the instant I say something. This happened several times yesterday in the study. People would come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor, you were talking right to me when, when you said that. That answered the questions that I had uh, for the Lord. And that's the gift of prophecy. It's just the foretelling of God's word. It's not foretelling the future. It's not saying, thus saith the Lord, and then giving people directions for their lives. The Old Testament prophets did that. But the New Testament gift of prophecy is different. And let me emphasize one more time, Martin. Exercising the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. There are no more prophets. Good question, Martin. Thank you very, very much. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the program. Let me remind you that tonight, and I said May Cruzado is going to be teaching the women, but it's not. It's Lauren Blanton who's going to be teaching the women at 7 o'clock. Um, our men's, women's, and high school and junior high school Bible studies at 7. We'd love to have you here. Smaller groups, a great opportunity to um, to fellowship um, and just to let the Holy Spirit move. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. And then, of course, uh, I'll be here tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630. Word. Thank you a bunch for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.